Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. Crypto prices rally despite regulators tightening the screws. Binance admits it will be penalized for the sins of the past. And the guarantors of SBF's bail bond finally revealed. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington. I'm joined by Christopher Perkins from CoinFund. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Ash. Always a pleasure to have you back. Plenty to discuss. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, let's take a look at today's price analysis. We've seen a significant rally in the past 24 hours, despite new potential headwinds for the industry. We're going to discuss these on the show in just a moment. The total crypto market cap is up 6.5% on coin market cap since yesterday, taking it above $1.1 trillion. Bitcoin has passed 25,000 for the first time since August. It's up nearly 10% on a 24-hour basis and roughly the same percentage on a weekly basis. Pretty much all those weekly gains happened in the last several hours here. Coindesk reports some $185 million worth of shorts in Bitcoin has been liquidated in the past 24 hours. Short bets uh, on prices are bets on prices falling. Shorts comprise 90% of liquidations. Meanwhile, Ether is not falling behind and is also surging. It's up nearly 10% on the past 24 hours, although lags Bitcoin a bit on a weekly basis. Ether is currently trading at more than $1,700, the highest since price since November. There's an interesting report on staked Ethereum by Binance Research. It was cited on Coindesk. Binance says only about a third of Ether stakeholders who stake their Ether and Ethereum's beacon chain over the past three years are currently making money. The rest are currently in the red. With that said, let's bring in Christopher. He's president of CoinFend, a crypto investment firm and former managing director at Citi and Lehman Brothers. Chris, we'd love to hear your thoughts on this market. Hey, Ash, how are you doing today? Yeah, if you were to shut your eyes a year ago and you and, and you were to say, okay, there's a situation where FTX is gone, we had major issues there and fraud, Celsius, BlockFi, Genesis, you know, we can continue to add to the list. Uh, what do you think the price of, of, of Bitcoin and ETH would be? My guess would be that we would say something materially lower. Um, and so I think one of the first points, the underlying resiliency of these markets is profound. And we really need to start unpacking, you know, why is that? And I think the answer is, is that there's real value in these assets. You know, we're bringing in a new era of technology uh, and we're continuing to see incredible projects being built in the space across this thing we call Web3. Smart people are coming in and value is being created. And so, you know, against that backdrop, you know, we've seen an array of regulatory activity um, coming very quickly. Um, you know, and I think a lot of this was highly anticipated. We just went through a, a really difficult time. And one of the first principles that we need to solve for it, look, this is a very young emerging space. 
Um, and in time, as we have those regulatory guardrails come into effect, and we believe in principles-based regulation, um, and, and once that's in place, you're going to see even greater adoption uh, within these ecosystems. So we've always been um, supporters of principles-based regulation. Uh, we can start with maybe talking about uh, what's going on with the SEC and the custody rule, if you like, but um, a lot happening. Um, but the underlying thesis is a very strong resiliency across the asset class. Well, you know, Chris, you make some important points there, one of the most important of which I think is trying to think along multiple time horizons. That's what everyone in the investment space does. It's one of the biggest mental shifts that people who are new to this space, I think, need to make uh, is how you can think about what's happening in the longer term. You've made the case, you've articulated it very clearly there uh, for the importance of digital decentralized assets at the core uh, of an evolving financial system, commercial system, uh, banking system, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the list goes on and on, all the places that this is going to touch, whether it's DeFi, uh, whether it's Web3. I mean, this is just an enormous opportunity. But I guess I have to ask, uh, what's happened in the last day uh, that would make you think, boy, I want to pay 10% more for these assets? It's like on a short time horizon. How do you reconcile it? Well, I think there's there's a bunch going on. Um, you know, one of the, the reasons at a macro basis, and we've been talking about it, but yields are rising. Um, and in certain cases, stable coins today don't pay through interest. Um, to the extent that you're looking for um, additional exposure to the asset class, maybe it makes sense to move into Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I think maybe another major factor, and, and by the way, we're seeing uh, the Nasdaq rally as well. So there's obviously macro factors coming into play. Um, but, but I do right. think it is positive for the industry when you're starting to see a new, equi a new equilibrium being formed in when it comes to regulation. And, and like I said earlier, we, we believe in principles-based regulation. And the SEC now is taking an approach where um, they've, they've, you know, they've become much more active recently. And I do believe that in time, we will find a new equilibrium. Um, I think the custody rule is, is a really important uh, example. I think- hey Chris, since you touched on it, let me just read the latest news flow on it so folks uh, who aren't following this as closely as you are can come up to speed. The US Securities and Exchange Commission has proposed new rules that would require digital assets to be held on qualified custodians, held by qualified custodians. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that, define that as a term of art in just a second. Currently, the guidelines for registered investors only cover where and how they hold traditional assets for their clients. The new rules would broaden the scope and affect multiple crypto companies as well as TradFi firms that have dabbled in crypto. Uh, here's a representative take, I think, from CNBC. Quote, it would be the C SEC's most overt effort to rein in even regulated crypto exchanges that have substantial institutional custody programs serving high net worth individuals and entities which custody investor assets like hedge funds or retirement investment managers. It goes on to say, the move poses a fresh threat to crypto exchange custody programs as other federal regulators actively discourage custodians like banks from holding crypto assets. The amendments also to come uh, as the SEC aggressively accelerates enforcement attempts. Coindesk reports that crypto exchanges Coinbase and crypto bank Anchorage say they would be fine under the new rules, but big uncertainty remains for some of the other players in this space. Uh, Chris, you're just about to talk about this. Give us your take and analysis on, on what this means and what the significance is. So the industry just went through a, a pretty traumatic time, right, where a number of different client assets were lost uh, across numerous different insolvencies. And, and I think I articulated some of them previously. I think across the industry and across the regulatory space, everybody believes that client asset protections are an important principle that we need to solve for. And if you can solve for that principle, folks will come into the space and, and we'll have a much broader uh, adoption across the crypto space. So principles matter. 
you know, obviously we've been articulating for a very long time that we believe that a legislative approach is the most important. I was down at the CFTC, I uh, participated in one of the advisory committees this week, and the Europeans came out and they said, listen, we looked at our old rules, we looked at our, and we realized that we needed to do something different. Um, and they talked about why they, they put out MICA, which was really to address the specifics of the crypto industry. And they also announced a, um, a sandbox recently. And, and of course, we're, we're supportive of things such as sandboxes. But the, the point is, is, can you explain real quick what a sandbox is? Because I think there's probably a lot of confusion about this idea of a space where p people can play with some degree of safe harbor. Well, it's exactly that. I mean, how do you create an environment where you give a founder or an entrepreneur um, the ability to develop and innovate and to try and to even fail without having you know major systemic consequence? Do you kind of like take away that 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 concern that oh my gosh, if I develop something new and innovative and groundbreaking, um, gosh, I may be outside of regulation because in many cases existing regulation doesn't understand new technologies and they don't reconcile. And we've talked about this in the past, yeah. how much of our, our, our system is predicated on intermediaries. And with things such as blockchain technology, you don't need an intermediary. So that, that's that's part of it. Um, but, but stepping back to the custody rule, I think everyone agrees that customer asset protections are important. And trust me, if you're caught in Celsius or FTX, more than ever, you want a system that protects your assets. This is fundamental. Right. Um, look, it's a super comprehensive rule put out by the SEC. Um, the, the thing is it's 433 pages long. It's not something that you can read, uh, read overnight and say, this is what's great about it. You know, there's a lot of nuance here. Um, so it's going to take a lot of time to, to read through those 433 pages from there. There needs to be a really thoughtful comment period. The SEC's pr proposed 60 days. Um, personally, I would like to see that extended because when you go through rulemaking, um, the, the way to get it right and to make it truly principles-based is to have engagement, to understand unintended consequences, and to have that two-way dialogue between regulators uh, and industry participants to say, well, wait a second, we're trying to solve for client asset protections. <clears throat> what tools do we have at our disposal to make them better than ever? And I would argue personally that things like blockchain technology, things like smart contracts, MPC technology, um, these are all multi-party computation. Sorry, multi-party computation technology. These are all technologies that can take the old system and make it even better. And so, you know, as we go through this process with the SEC of providing them comments, you know, it's important to always step back to first principles and say, well, gosh, don't outlaw this. Let's encourage this technology because we can actually deliver, you know, with 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 uh, capabilities that we never had before. And that'll be the focus of our dialogue. But in the end, you know, when we see institutions and we talk to institutions every day, what's the most what's the thing that concerns them most about entering the crypto space? It's our will my assets be safe? That's what they care about the most. And so seeing the SEC putting out guidelines and rules to say, well, this is this is how you're going to have better, safer, qualified custody in the space. I think for many traditional institutions, they like it because they're like, wow, now I can go to my investors or whomever and say, we have a, a regime here that's regulated and safe. Um, so I think the top line for many traditional folks is important. I think for many of the folks in the industry, there's a lot of nuance and it's imperative that we engage, engage, engage mm. to make sure that the entirety and, and the, the the second order, the unintended consequences are fully understood. In fact, the matter is we need to find out a, a way to to empower um, you know, this this client protection through new technologies, like I mentioned.
Boy, Chris, that's so well said, and I think it mirrors my thinking in many ways. I, I think of it as client protection, safety, and security, and also systemic risk management, two, two of the biggest buckets uh, that our regulatory uh, infrastructure deals with here. And I think you're absolutely right. It's not just about making things better. It's about making things potentially much better, uh, about enabling new opportunities, new growth, uh, the capacity to do things that you know we couldn't uh, do 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even today uh, at scale. You know, I, I had one of the advantages to living here in New York City uh, aside from the disgusting rents and overpriced food, uh, is that you get to have dinner with really smart people who have been in the securities uh, business for a very long time. I had dinner last night with an old friend of mine who's a bit of a skeptic, and he said, "Well, you know, crypto to me, it's like a solution in search of a problem. Like, what what is it that what is it that I really need that I can't like do today? Right? I've got a you know I've got a brokerage account, I got a bank, things work pretty well." And I actually said, uh, kind of off the top of my head, like I'm like, "Well, what's wrong with a telephone?" And he's like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "What's wrong with a fax machine?" Right? Like. The, the idea is that you create opportunities to do things that you weren't able to do in the past with, for example, the explosion of the internet. By the way, I think that uh, all of these technologies that we're talking about, I think of them in some ways as web 3.0. Uh, it's the programmable money. It's the ability to do these things uh, in a digital and programmable way. But the opportunities in many cases uh, are not necessarily obvious because it's a question of sort of like how high is high. What if you, what what could you do if you could dramatically reduce economic frictions? What would you do if you could dramatically increase uh, the ability of, uh, of of people who have been, uh, for example, excluded uh, from participating in the system the way that you and I have uh, from having economic opportunities? Not through not through redistribution, but through creating uh, a, a fairer system that was that was cheaper, that was easier to use, that empowered people. I mean, there's just so much opportunity here, and I feel like that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah, you mentioned systemic risk, and there's been a lot of talk about stablecoins in the space recently. Um, yeah. Stablecoins are awesome. They are an incredible, incredible opportunity, and we remain hopeful that we get some legislation around them. We're not sure if, if that's going to happen or not, but gosh, what an incredible innovation and opportunity for the United States and our, and, 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 um, and our economy. What do they do? They eliminate they eliminate systemic risk because you can settle in near real time. Like I used to run a, a foreign exchange my brokerage business, the largest in the world. And one of my biggest risks was, was this thing called Herstat risk, settlement. You pay money out in one currency and it takes days to, for the other currency to come in. Yeah. That's a major systemic risk. Stablecoins solve that instantaneously. Yes, they're more inclusive. Uniswap recently put, put out, a, a, out a piece on FX. Um, you can reduce uh, remittances by 80%. Um, by settling through stable coins. Right. Not to mention the U.S. government should love it because what do you do? You buy treasuries to to essentially mint uh, stable coins. That's great for the U.S. government. So, again, in the end, I think that um, I, I think that, that that these technologies will prevail. Uh, we just need to stay very focused on the principles that we're trying to solve. But but really great points, Ash. Yeah, and you know, in many ways, I suspect that what we're going to see from stablecoins is going to be regulation there. I mean, it's going to be intensely regulated. The, the, my my bet, based on the my reading, and I've been, I don't have any inside information here, but I've been watching these things for a fair amount of time, uh, and it really seems to me like if it kind of walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, if it looks like a banking service, if it looks like uh, a regulated financial service can get regulated like one, I suspect uh, that stablecoins are going to be the tip of the spear for regulation here. Yeah, and, and that that regulation should be actually empowered. It should be empowered through legislation. And so very hopeful that that you know, our elected officials realize the opportunity and the promise um, and really then empower our regulators to put forth rules that encourage encourage innovation. You know, that's what's going to differentiate us as a country. And and uh, hopefully it starts there. Yeah, it's so well said. The importance of competitive advantage here in this space. It's not like this technology is going back into the toothpaste tube if we ignore it here in the United States. We're just going to get left behind. It's such an important point.
Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, listen, Chris, let's do a little bit. I know neither of us are lawyers here, but a little bit of first principles uh, to just get people up to speed. At least I'll give you my understanding of the way the current system works. You tell me uh, how off base I am with this, right? So you have this, I mean, ultimately, it's all driven by legislation. It's all driven by law. Uh, and the laws in many cases were written uh, 90 years ago. I'm thinking specifically about something that we keep coming back to, the 1933 Securities Act and the 1934 Securities Exchange Act. That's really uh, those and a few of uh, the similar vintage Franklin Delano Roosevelt vintage, frankly, legislation is really the core uh, of the way the system works in terms of the legislative architecture. Uh, and then you obviously have these regulatory agencies, and there's always uh, some question and debate about how autonomous they are from the administration, disagreement about whether, for example, a president can fire uh, the head of SEC. I think technically, legally, he can't, but the precedent is if the president asks for your resignation, you hand in your resignation. Uh, so to what extent it's a reflection of the current uh, presidential administration is an open question. But basically, you have these regulatory organizations uh, that file suit uh, against entities when they feel that they're in violation of the law. Uh, those entities then, the respondents, can answer that uh, in federal court uh, by disputing the claims. Then you get case law that gets worked out. You have a whole sort of elaborate series of, uh, you have the appellate process and case law gets established. But reality is that all of this stuff is based, ultimately, the first principles that it's based in is the law. Uh, in many cases, it's 90 years old, and it'll come as no surprise to anyone uh, that the 1933 Securities Act doesn't speak uh, to digital assets and cryptocurrency. So what we wind up having here is this weird sort of retrofitting situation where you have these regulatory agencies which file suit, uh, file charges, basically civil charges, uh, in federal court against entities that they feel have violated it. Then it works its way through the federal court uh, system, and then case law gets established. For example, we always hear about the Howey test. I think that's a 1950s vintage uh, sort of explication about what is and what is not a security. And this gets built up and layered up over time. Uh, but the reality is the fix would be ultimately to write some uh, digital asset crypto specific legislation uh, in the House and the Senate, get it passed, and hopefully make the United States more competitive. I don't know. Is that sort of a rough uh, outline of the way you see things? Yeah, you nailed it. Um, having lived through the global financial crisis, what did we have after that? We had Dodd-Frank, and that gave it tasked the regulators, uh, including Chairman Gensler, who was chairman of the, of the CFTC at the time, to go forth and put certain rules. Here, we don't have that. And so we are left with navigating legacy uh, jurisdictions. And people don't understand this, but the way jurisdictions work today is that everything in the world is a commodity, except for movie receipts, onions, and securities. And the test to determine what a security is, is the Howey test. I know it makes no sense, but it's the truth. Um, and so there's been that ongoing back and forth over which jurisdiction should this sit in. Frankly, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter at all. It should be like, hey, which principles are we trying to solve for? And then ensuring that we solve through them through, through proactive. So I'd love to see us go on the offense rather than look back to the 50s and see where this goes. Right, exactly. Um, there's, been a, there's been an interesting change of tone from the administration. Um, you know, we saw this piece come out a while back that talked about responsible innovation, which is great. And regardless of, of anything that we're seeing, we're not seeing, um, in my mind, anyone seeking to ban this technology. Um, 
But on the 27th, they put out the White House put out a new statement from the NEC, and it talked about how they want to keep the National Economic Council. Yeah, sorry, National Economic Council, banking and crypto separate. Um, but then they go on to say, well, we also want to investigate the ways that these new technologies can deliver efficiencies, inclusivity, et cetera. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that approach. I think, you know, if we have technology that can be more efficient, less intermediaries, less fees, we have technology that can allow more inclusivity. You know, let's embrace it and let's in, let's put forth uh, um, an, an ecosystem that that abides by those principles. And then, like, if we want those efficiencies in crypto, let's give them to traditional finance as well. And we're starting to see a lot of momentum now uh, and focus on on this thing we called uh, real world assets. Like I try not to say RWA because it triggers me as an ex banker, which is like risk weighted assets. But you know, <laughs> so the risk weight, Chris, are you implying the risk weighting didn't turn out to be accurate? Perhaps, um, but but as we start thinking about what we can do with tokenization and have an ability to settle in real time and reduce risk, um, I think it's going to be very beneficial for our traditional economy as well. Yeah, by the way, as we talk about uh, the regulatory infrastructure and potential uh, penalties, uh, civil and otherwise, I just wanted to go through this story here uh, as we discuss this. In an exclusive interview with the Wall Street Journal, Binance Chief Strategy Officer Patrick Hillman said the company expects to pay monetary fines to settle ongoing U.S. investigations. Hillman said Binance grew quickly in its early days, and people building the company were then unfamiliar with compliance with laws on money laundering, bribery, corruption, and sanctions. Hillman said Binance has been working to ensure no gaps in compliance exist today, but Hillman admitted the company would still have to pay for past conduct. Sources speaking to the journal say Binance is under investigation by the U.S. Department of Justice, as a course, criminal uh, investigative unit, uh, and the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, which we've also discussed today. Chris, the Binance situation remains a Damocles sword hanging over crypto. What are your thoughts here? Look, I think centralized entities need to be thoughtfully regulated. And, you know, in the aftermath of what we saw with FTX and everything else, it makes sense for them to um, to, to, to be thoughtfully regulated. And, and they're of the size now where uh, it's important that they, you know, adhere by those principles we talked about. They should be able to protect client assets um, and they should be following, you know, laws in the jurisdictions where they apply. So, like, very supportive of principles-based regulation. I think starting with centralized providers makes a lot of sense. But I also think it's really important to differentiate between centralized providers and technology and DeFi. Right. Like, totally different the thing here. Um, yes, you can regulate someone like finance. That makes sense. But when you're thinking about, um, you know, regulating DeFi, it's code, right? It's completely different. And that kind of nuance is going to be really important as we continue to engage with regulatory officials. Yeah, and it's interesting in, to what extent uh, folks understand those distinctions, policymakers, particularly because this technology is so new, uh, it is emerging and it is an important distinction to make between centralized counterparties, which we've been talking about today, and the true decentralized applications that are coming in DeFi, Web3, and others in the future. By the way, uh, I'm talking of Binance, one of the biggest stories of 2022 in crypto was Binance's CEO rivalry with FTX, of course, Sam Bankman-Fried. And we've got an interesting update about uh, Sam Bankman-Fried uh, and that story right now. We've all been waiting to find out who the two signers of Sam Bankman-Fried's bail bond are. The long wait is over. They have been revealed as two people who worked at Stanford University, where Bankman-Fried's parents have also worked. Andreas Papek is a senior research scientist. He put up $200,000 for Sam Bankman-Fried's bail. And Larry Kramer is a former dean of Stanford Law School. He committed $500,000. Kramer told Coindesk he did it because of his friendship with SBF's parents. Uh, so obviously 
uh, some action on that front. Chris, I got a couple more stories that I wanted to get your take on here. Some interesting news uh, coming in. Let's start with a couple of stories from the world of gaming. The Block reports that Square Enix, the creator of Final Fantasy and one of the world's biggest gaming studios, is working on a game that will run on the Polygon blockchain. It's called Symbogenesis and will be released in the spring. Polygon is a Layer 2 blockchain built on Ethereum. Also, according to Coindesk, Square Enix is among 25 network validators on the gaming blockchain Oasis. Japanese conglomerate SoftBank has joined that list. It also includes the like of Sega and Bandai Namco. Uh, here's another story we're looking at today. Hong Kong has just gone through the world's first issuance of tokenized green bonds. The government there has announced a successful sale of $100 million worth of bonds. The yield is 4.05%. The aim of green bonds is to finance environmentally friendly projects. The fact they're tokenized means they can be sold digitally as well. Obviously, this is part of the ESG movement. Uh, and finally, you have to let it all go, Nero. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Looks like the actor Keanu Reeves, who played Neo in the film Matrix, embraced that famous quote in an interview with Wired flagged by Decrypt. The famous actor said, quote, to poo-poo crypto or the volatility of cryptocurrency, it's only going to make it better in terms of how it's safeguarded. So uh, I don't know, maybe a slightly ambiguous quote, but it sounds like maybe Neo is on board. Awesome. Yeah, so let's talk about gaming first. Um, in really, really interesting vertical, uh, $200 billion TAM, and um, I have a 15-year-old. There's nothing he loves more than gaming. Um, it's, it's, it's an industry that will continue to grow. Listen, um, if you're over 40 and you don't have kids, uh, this is something, the story you may have missed. Right now, gaming generates more revenue than film and music combined. It is an extraordinarily enormous industry. And it's set to grow. Um, you know, Particularly with Web3, we saw the first iterations of gaming, play-to-earn gaming, um, they kind of suffered from a lot of the other challenges we've seen across Web3, and that's user experience. It's been pretty tough. Um, yeah. Gaming takes a long time. Games take a long time to be built, but those games are starting to really come online right now, and that user experience, the quality of the games are coming on. And now, you know, with Web3, what you can do is you, instead of just, um, you know, earning an in-game asset, you can actually take that asset outside of the system, and, and it can be financialized um, and traded. And I think that's that's a very powerful thing and a powerful force. So it's going to be interesting to see how um, how that user experience changes and how gamers come online. There's actually this big debate in the gaming industry about whether NFTs are a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. I think that'll continue to evolve in time as people understand the opportunity and promise as the, as the games get better. A very heated debate, actually, I would say. And it's, it's interesting because I think that uh, the promise and the potential for NFTs has yet to be made clear as a use case, but it's clearly there. I mean, it's something that's uh, just immense. By the way, talking about uh, UI, UX, user interface, user experience, uh, the challenges that we've had in the Web3 space with it, it's not great yet. Uh, if you don't have a master's degree in computer science, it's a little bit tricky. It's a little bit challenging. But boy, on the opposite side of the coin, uh, if you're a nerd like me, sometimes I go up to Twitch and I watch the PS5 games. Man, there is just no industry that's figured out user interface, user experience better than the gaming business. There's just nothing simpler, more elegant, more intuitive, something you can use on a controller, don't even require a keyboard. They've just done amazing things in the last decade uh, to make that experience so great. And boy, if there's ever an industry that could use it, uh, it's Web3. So you, you kind of wonder about what the future potential is for that marriage. Yeah, and just wait until some of these next generation AI capabilities come online. Um, I think the time to market with a lot of gaming will be much quicker. Uh, as we unleash um, AI to develop code and faster faster than ever to to also create environments. I think that's going to be a huge contributor uh, to gaming. Um, on the Hong Kong space, if you want to pivot, Ash. Yeah, sure, absolutely. 
So super interesting themes there as you start unpacking what's going on. First, Hong Kong seems to be warming up again to tokenization in crypto. That's a big theme. Uh, they pulled back for, for a while, uh, and now we're starting to see more activity and movement out of Hong Kong, more leadership in the Asia region. Typically, when Hong Kong moves, um, it'll incentivize Singapore uh, to, to get more active as well. So I think this is a very, very positive step. Two other themes you can unpack in that article. The first is, again, tokenization of a real-world asset. This is a theme that we continue to see across the board. Um, re recent activity by JP Morgan, as an example, um, we saw there as well um, within, within Aave. But then, um, so tokenization, Hong Kong, and then ESG, right? When I talk to regulators at the most senior level, they focus on the environment. Most governments around the world focus on the environment. The By the way, I say this all the time when it comes to ESG, which is love it or hate it. It's something that is a part of uh, government framework for thinking about the future. Absolutely. You can't ignore it. Uh, it's there. And, you know, because of, of that, when you find these major themes, ESG and blockchain, and you bring them together, things happen. I mean, we're seeing a number of different projects that are tokenizing carbon credits. It's a kind of accessible application because we have an issue with this thing called double spend. So if right. you can start carving out um, carbon credits and, and being able to, you know, create NFTs that represent certain parts of rainforests, you know, there's applicability. And so super interesting themes there uh, as, as you look at, at Hong Kong as a region, opening up Asia, you know, the theme as well is like, I think regulators are going to start going on offense and start competing with regulation rather than, you know, staying on defense. And there's just so much to lose if they don't have their policies right. And so moving this movement forward by Hong Kong is a good thing. Singapore will follow. Uh, and that that's great. So super interesting story there. Yeah, I just saw someone posted in the comments. I'm, I always read these on the live stream. When did we vote on ESG? Listen, the reality is we didn't. Uh, but the fact is that uh, whether we voted on it or not, uh, it's something that's very much a part of the of the framework of the, you know, when whether you can criticize this or not, the Davos set. This is the this is the framework that we see coming out of there. It's something that we hear repeated all the time. It's interesting to me because I have lots of friends in the financial services industry who clearly lean right of center, who are clearly skeptical about ESG from a political perspective, from a philosophical perspective, uh, and yet they do business there because obviously it's it's a way to make money. I've spoken to many senior senior regulators, and what they've opened up the comments time and time again. My primary focus is the environment. And like it or not, it doesn't matter. If that's their focus, um, it will drive a degree of economic activity. So it's something to watch. Yeah, you know, one of the things about finance and investing that I always sort of stress is, remember, it's not about what you want to happen. It's what you think is probable that's likely to happen. Uh, and the the kind of the normative distinction of like, do I like this or do I hate it, uh, isn't really relevant. The reality is that markets are moving in that direction, you know, which is to say, if you're not happy with something, the way to change it is at the ballot box. But fundamentally, this is the world you find yourself in. I mean, basic rule uh, of investing is you, you live in the world uh, as it is and not the world as you wish it to be. But I know, I mean, I know a lot of people obviously have real philosophical uh, problems with it, and it's, so it's it's worth pointing out. Um, by the way, it looks like we've got some viewer questions uh, queuing up here. We'll get to those in just a moment. For those watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out at realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's the best way to access Real Vision crypto content, and it's always free. We also have a pro crypto membership for all those who want to take their knowledge to the next level at 2 p.m. Eastern today, so just over 
over an hour. I'll host our co-founder, Rao Pal, live with co-founder of Delphi Digital, Kevin Kelly, for the latest insider talks. That's a pro product here on Real Vision. Join us if you can. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. And please also hit the notification bell so you can get notified of all the great content that we've got coming. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, Chris, want to do some viewer questions? Sure. Okay, first viewer question. This one comes from Ralph H. on the Real Vision website. Can Chris give us his take on the current regulatory action impacting Paxos? Also, how does his experience serving as CFTC's GMAC, and can he discuss his impressions on CFTC's viewpoints on crypto? Yeah, I, let me start with uh, the GMAC. So I was appointed to uh, something called the Global Markets Advisory Committee, uh, I'm one of about five, four or five crypto native um, folks that were invited to participate. We had our first meeting on Monday and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm honored to be on that committee. And the reason for that is that it's an opportunity for people like me to represent uh, the industry. And I, and I reached out to uh, as many people as I could before I went down there on what I should bring to the table. But the CFTC has been very thoughtful in giving us a voice where they want to hear our views. They actually voted to establish a subcommittee to focus on digital assets. And it's that kind of um, dialogue and engagement that I think is gonna be really important to get things right. Now, are we gonna get them perfect? I don't know, but at least they'll hear our voice, they'll hear our views. Uh, they asked me to present on a number of different financial use, non-financial use cases. Uh, and then I tried to make a point that one of the problems that we have, and I testified in front of Congress on this, is that we don't have derivatives in the United States that are accessible uh, to U.S. persons. We don't have scalable derivatives and derivatives are used to hedge risk. And so I asked if they could focus on that. Um, and there's some market structure issues around that and legacy technologies and intermediaries and all the things that we talk about. But One of the great mysteries of the universe is why we have uh, we have the ability to access, uh, for example, futures uh, products that are exchange traded but not spot. It is uh, something that's uh, baffling, I think, to many of us. Well, we can, we can bet all we want, but we can't hedge our risk in crypto, right? So th these are things right. that I'm keen to try to solve, um, you know, because I come from that background. Um, on Paxos, it's, um, look, the, the regulators are going to be focused on obvious issues that they that they see and they need to address. Um, they can't afford to have, I don't think any of us can afford to have another FTX, and I'm not saying that Paxos is anything like that, but but they're going to be very focused on, on obvious issues that they see. Um, I read the the, uh, the 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 New York DFS statement, and it looks as though they have a, a very clear um, issue with the way that Paxos was operating, and I'm sure that that will be worked through. Um, less certain on the specifics of um, of the SEC action, um, and I think it's something that you know we will see. Um, like I said earlier, ultimately there will be an equilibrium that's established. Um, you know whether it's settled or whether there's court action. That equilibrium will be established. Um, and God, I really hope um, while that equilibrium is being figured out, we go back and we focused on legislation. 
um, to really make the rules of the road clear. Like I said earlier, I think stable coins are an incredible opportunity. You know, people challenge uh, crypto people all the time on utility. I mean, it's utility that's staring us in the face. The FX markets are seven, they trade $7.2 trillion per day, per day, right? A tokenized FX market will be much more efficient, less systemically risky, and save a ton of costs. Trust me, trust it from someone who used to operate in those markets. Yeah, very well said. Uh, here's some questions from Mr. Wright. Uh, I think in many ways he he sort of embodies uh, some of the points and the fears that we were talking about earlier. Uh, he writes, uh, biggest crypto concern, will government let me profit in this market? Will they force me offshore? What happens if the USA does not give clarity to crypto? The dollar is systematically being destroyed. What choice does the Fed have? So obviously a lot of points there, uh, but a lot of good ones. Uh, Chris, what do you take? Uh, what's the risk here if government sort of regulates this into uh, uh, attempts to regulate it into obscurity uh, and forces some of this offshore where the innovation uh, will not benefit the United States. Yeah, I saw the article on Operation Choke Point 2.0, and, and there's a lot of fear running around uh, around that. Um, my sense is that, and I think many of us agree, you cannot put the technology, the genie can't go back in, into the bottle, right? It's here. And I do see that there's recognition of that across the board, across regulators. I mean, even if you look at the White House's recent statement I referenced, they do talk about an understanding that there are efficiencies um, and benefits of the technology, but they're at the point now where they're saying, well, let's keep it separate uh, from the bank, the traditional banking system. Um, look, I'm long-term bullish. Um, we have a very old Congress right now, right? When you talk to younger people- Average it, age is 64. I was just Googling right? this actually earlier on the Senate, 64 years old. Right. When you talk to your grandparents, like it's hard to explain, you know, what blockchain is. It just is. Um, but as time goes on, I think you're going to see more and more people who get into more senior positions within policy and government. Um, the, it's inevitable that we're going to have a, a thoughtful adoption of this of this technology. Um, and, you know, as time comes on um, and we as long as we stay principles focused, we establish that new equilibrium. Um, elections come and go, people come and go, and, and I do think long-term, uh, there's no stopping the adoption of this technology. Yeah, and there's also no reason why older people can't adapt to this. Um, you know, we're a little bit older, I think, than most of the folks in crypto. My mother is on her iPhone at least as much as I am. Uh, so I feel like there is definitely a spot. Uh, there's there's room to grow. I think there's room to educate people. The technology is just so very new. Uh, here's another one from Mr. Wright on YouTube. Does Christopher see in-game crypto rewards able to be traded in real-world products? What timing will it have, and how will taxation be handled? Lots of good questions there. Yeah, I'm not a tax expert. Uh... But this is what I know. In Web3, we have the ability to put, pri to, to put private property into the internet. We can create things of value. I would argue that in-game assets today have value, right? Um, and you're not supposed to bring them outside that, that environment, but maybe some people do. But, but you can't generally take them outside of that environment. I think what Web3 allows you to do is to earn something of value, right? And then, you know, to the extent that we have new financial tools around valuations, et cetera, or markets, Ideally, you earned it. You should be able to trade it um, for somebody else who wants to come in at that game at a certain other level, right? Um, do we think that, you know, I'm going to have a certain avatar and be able to play it in every single game? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I do think that there will be status and and certain value that's accrued that you can that you'll be able to monetize um, in various marketplaces. And, and if there's value and it's fungible, then could you, you know, do you trade it for USDC or do you trade it for ETH? I think so. 
um, and then you can take that outside of the ecosystem. Tax remains a huge problem, right? The the capabilities, um, and, and there are a number of projects in the space, it's tax season. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited for that technology to improve so that you can connect it comprehensively to all wallets. Um, but but tax, I do think that there's going to be, uh, there needs to be a lot more focus on efficient tax treatment. Um, but, but yeah, that, that type of activity would be taxed to the extent you monetize it. But I, I do think that that is the future of gaming. Here's a question for you from Gary Winters on the Real Vision website. What effect will the proposed new rules have on retail brokerage accounts that hold listed digital asset securities? My guess is none, uh, but Chris, I'm curious to hear your view. Um, try to understand the question asked. Can you say that again? What effect will the proposed new rules have on retail brokerage accounts that hold listed digital asset securities? I think what he's talking about here is basically the ETFs, right? If you have, uh, if you own. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing I could think of would be that the, the well, we don't have a, uh, right now we have, we have futures based, which which you don't need custody. I'm sorry, I should I should have said closed end closed end funds also apply. I think he's talking about like GBTC. If you have GBTC, which is a security, yep. and you own it in your Chuck Schwab account, what's the impact? Again, not a lawyer here, not an expert. My guess is not. It's a security. I think they would have to comply with the custody rules once finalized, and if there are any nuances or changes, that that would have to be observed. But um, I, I, you know, that that would be out of the top of my head what it would be. You know, is it? Are our assets held within a qualified custodian? If these rules come out, and we don't know what the final form is, there's a 60-day comment period. Right. Uh, that's something to watch. Yeah, and I, I think he's talking about from the and, I, and again, I could be wrong. Yep. We're, this is all highly speculative here. Obviously, you're you're answering a question uh, that's just been posed, and and we're not experts in it. We don't have the information in front of us. But but my guess is, if the question is, you know, what happens to the person who owns that in their Chuck Schwab account? I would assume, probably, uh, perhaps erroneously, that there's probably no change to them. Yeah, I think you're right. But obviously, uh, something that you're going to have to uh, have to watch uh, for yourself if you own one of those securities. Uh, clearly, not financial advice uh, here, uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, let's see. Let's do one more. Uh, here's one from uh, Bandit8899 on YouTube. This is a price question. Do you think crypto could still retest its lows in the rising interest rate environment? Yeah, I don't like to to comment on individual tokens. Um, you know, it's 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 we're very very confident in the long-term adoption and trajectory of the space. Um, look, it's a volatile space, markets go up, markets go down. Um, we've seen in the last year that macroeconomic forces have a material impact on crypto. Uh, as, as rates rose, we saw what happened. Um, and so I think that's one of many input, impacts that, that, that people consider when they're thinking about you know, various price targets. Um, so I, I don't like to, to talk in, in extreme cases, but um, I, I guess that's where I think I think macroeconomic inputs are will remain an important impact to any price discovery or, or, or future price action that you intend to see. Chris, always fantastic to have you on the show. Great conversation as always. Give us your final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners and viewers with. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, long term bullish. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty excited about the space. Um, you know, like I said when I began, this market is resilient. Um, we're continuing to build. We're seeing great projects every single day. Like I've got the greatest job in the world. I wake up and I, and I meet and I get exposed to some of the smartest entrepreneurs who are building amazing things. And so, you know, short-term volatility aside, like really, really confident for the, on the long-term trajectory of this project, uh, of, of this thing we call Web3. And uh, I, I feel lucky to be part of it. But uh, always great to talk to you, Ash.
Yeah, Chris, always great to talk to you. Here are my takeaways here. I think you, you've said it so well. Uh, you know, we did an interesting mix in this conversation here about some of the news cycle stories. Obviously, we're talking about the short-term price action, uh, things that can influence short-term price action. But I think longer term, you, you said it so well. Uh, it's the smart young men and women in this space who are out there building uh, things and developing solutions. And I think we did a good job of covering what some of those potential opportunities are here in this conversation uh, on the opportunity to reduce uh, costs, to reduce friction, to increase financial inclusivity, to build platforms where businesses, financial products, and other things can be offered in ways uh, that are far more effective, far more user-friendly, uh, far cheaper, uh, and more efficient than they are today. That's really about what the promise is in this space. And I, I think that's the reason why uh, we both uh, spend our days doing it, because it's, quite frankly, the most exciting thing happening in the world right now uh, in terms of innovation, in terms of technology. I, I just wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Uh, so that's kind of my key takeaway. Chris, really, again, such a pleasure to have you with us. Likewise, Ash. Have a great day. For those of you watching on YouTube, like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. That way you'll always stay up to date with the latest crypto news and analysis. If you're not a Real Vision crypto subscriber yet, don't forget, it's free. Head to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Jake Shervinsky from the Blockchain Association. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.